We're going to go to John chapter 20, and uh, I'm going to read just a few passages of Scripture, and then we're going to get right into the Word. Last week, man, I, I do feel a conspicuous anointing here, though, I must, I must say. You know, when we were worshiping, I want to just encourage you in something. The intensity of praise is a very powerful moment. But never miss the intimacy of worship. Worship is a powerful thing. Worship is our faith response to God. When we're worshiping, we don't know what he's doing. We only know what we're doing. And we know this, when we're doing what we're doing, he's up to something. Can you say amen to that? Because he inhabits the praises of his people. So even as we were in praise and worship today, things were being adjusted in your life. God was moving stuff around in your favor. He was aligning things for you. Amen, because he knows there's a big advance coming your way. How many of you are ready to make some progress today? You're ready to move forward. Amen. Britt, just give me a little more volume right here. Not a lot, just a little bit more. I like to hear myself. I'm going to preach part two of this message called proof. Say that word, proof. And we're going to go to John chapter 20. We were in chapter 21 on last week. But this week, we're going to back up one chapter. John chapter 20 and verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut. Don't miss that. When the doors were shut. Where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus, listen to it, then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. That's what I'm praying today. I pray this morning, God exhale in our sanctuary today. Just breathe on us today. He breathed on them and said unto them, receive the Holy Ghost. Strong. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. That's a volume. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side I will not believe and after eight days again that's a big word in this text again his disciples were within and Thomas with them then came Jesus the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said again peace be unto you then he said to Thomas reach here 
your finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing and Thomas answered and said unto him my Lord and my God and Jesus said unto Thomas because you have seen you have believed blessed are they that have not seen and yet they believe Lift those hands, please. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. And as we preach and teach this morning, we pray that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. Because you said what we understand cannot be taken from us. So, Father, move us beyond mere knowledge today. And move us into the sphere of understanding. Because we want to receive something that we can't lose. And I give you praise that every generational curse is broken in this building. Any generational spirit that is diametrically opposed to the progress of your people is dismissed now. And we say, Lord, have your way. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Let there be an open heaven right here today. Thank you for the anointing that leads us and guides us into truth. When we arrive at truth, we are made free. We give you praise for it now. Do something big. Do something big here today. Lord Jesus, do something big here today. And we thank you for it in advance. Let's give God that pre-praise, shall we? That praise you give him before. Are y'all hearing me? We're used to praising him after. But let's praise him before he ever does a thing. Father, we praise you now. Have your way. Tell your neighbor it's on in the building right now. Amen. So we're moving into this idea of proof. And I said last week, and I'm kind of on this track with Jesus. You know, most preachers preach right up to Easter, and we get him crucified. We get him buried. And we get him resurrected. And then after that, we just stop and start preaching about other stuff. But Acts, Acts chapter 1 tells me that there was a 40-day period after his resurrection, that he showed himself to his disciples by infallible proofs, right? In other words, he didn't come just to resurrect, but he came to prove his resurrection. And I just got a feeling that God is the kind of God that doesn't mind showing himself alive. As a matter of fact, time and again, after his resurrection, the Bible says those words. And he showed himself alive to his disciples. And he did this by infallible proof, denoting the idea that infallible means incapable of making a mistake. Incapable of being wrong. How many of you are thrilled that you serve a God that cannot make a mistake? That means when you were born, it was not a mistake. It is impossible. It is incapable of him to be wrong. God is never wrong. I said the other day that obedience to God is sometimes uncomfortable, but it is never unnecessary. Obedience to God is sometimes uncomfortable, but it is never unnecessary. Why? Because God cannot be wrong. God is good. I read this story today and I thought I would share it with you. There was once two identical twins. 
I think Jamie and Tony know something about that. They were alike in every way but one. One was hope-filled. He was a hope-filled optimist. Peter, who only ever saw the bright side of life. The other, Thomas. He was a dark pessimist who only ever saw the downside in every situation. The parents were so worried about the extremes of optimism and pessimism in their boys that they took them, they took them to the doctor. The doctor suggested a plan. On their next birthday, give Thomas a shiny new bike, but give to Peter a pile of manure. Y'all are boring today. <laughs> when I read that in my office, I literally started laughing. All I heard when I read that just now was, hmm. <laughs> I don't know what that meant. Poor, poor Peter or the doctor might be a little off. But I'll read it again. On their next birthday, the doctor suggested, give Thomas a shiny new bike. But give to Peter a pile of manure. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it seemed a fairly extreme thing to do. After all, the parents had always treated their, boy, their boys equally. But in this instance, they decided, let's try the doctor's advice. So when the twins' birthday came around, they gave Thomas the most expensive, top-of-the-range racing bike a child could ever own. And when he saw the bike, his first words were, I'll probably crash this bike and break my leg. <laughs> oh, I know people like that. To Peter the optimist, they gave a carefully wrapped box of manure. Carefully wrapped. Now, to me, that's funny. <laughs> Peter opened the box. He looked puzzled for a moment. Then he ran outside screaming, You can't fool me. Where there's this much manure, there's got to be a pony around here somewhere. that I thought man I've got both of those guys living in me <laughs> sometimes I've looked for manure and found a shining bike and other times I thought I was going to get the shining bike and it turned out to be yeah I'm sure you've never experienced anything like that that's just between me and these twins Let's get to our text, shall we? <laughs> please, Joe said, please. <laughs> John chapter 19, let's just walk through it. This is going to be an expository message, and I've kind of taught you over the last few weeks different styles of preaching. And last week we tried a new style, and it seemed to work pretty good. And when I woke up this morning and started praying about 4 o'clock, the Lord says, stay with the script. So I'm just going to do it like the Lord tells me to do it. That be all right with y'all? Awesome. When you look at verse 20 of, of John chapter 20, the Bible says this, Then the same day at evening, 
being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Now that seems to be Christ's theme song after his resurrection. What seems to be? Peace. Peace is a wonderful feeling. It's the feeling of calmness. But not just calmness, but it's the feeling of certainty. Assurance. Peace means everything is going to be all right. You know, I really felt impressed with the Lord this morning that the Lord would speak to your situations and he would bring peace to you because many people cry for peace in order for God to deal with the symptoms. See, the, wind, the water is the symptoms of the storm. The wind is the root. And what we need is God not to deal with just the water. We need him to speak to the wind. And when he was in the boat with the disciples, he spoke to the wind and he said, peace, be still. You don't have a water problem. You have a wind problem. And that's his theme song, peace. He's the prince of peace. He controls peace. When he tells peace to get in somebody's home, guess what's coming? Peace, because he's in control of it. But several things stood out to me in this particular passage. Number one is this idea of shut doors again. It seems like after his resurrection, he keeps running in to doors that are shut. The doors were shut. I felt this today also. When you can't get to him, he will get to you. And we said it last week, and I feel like saying it one more again. When you can't get to him, he will get to you. And I'll say it like this. He will go through anything to get peace to you. And even though I felt this as well, even though the doors keep shutting, even for many of us, you keep looking for an open door, and every time you check, the doors are shut. I want to encourage you today that even though the doors are shut, Jesus is about to show up in a way that you have never seen him before. What is closing you out is an invitation for him to walk in. I'm going to say it again. What keeps locking you out is an invitation for him to come in. So if you're facing shut doors, do not let your heart be discouraged. Get excited. Because God is about to show up just for you. <laughs> and then I looked at these disciples and the Bible says something interesting. It doesn't say they were just in the room, but the Bible says that they were assembled in the room. The disciples were assembled. It means to gather together by convoking. In other words, they called the meeting and said, we're going to meet in this place at this time in that room. John uses this word assembled and it denotes this idea to put together properly. In other words, the people that fit were in the room. They were not there by accident. They were there because somebody set an appointment. What are you saying, Pastor Rick? You're here today. You're here. And you're not here by accident. 
you are here by appointment. We're not gathered here today. We are assembled here today. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. You are here because you fit in this moment of faith. Y'all just missed that right there. You are here today because you fit in this moment of faith, which means something explosive can potentially take place in your life. It only takes two things, being engaged and being involved. There are two people in this building today. There are those who will listen, and then there are those who will hear. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, to those who hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. I want to know if there's any hearers in this building today. There's some hearers here today. So the disciples are assembled together in the room. But the question is, why did he show up? Don't miss this here. Why did Jesus show up in this room at this time for these men? I'll say what didn't get him there. And this will challenge some of you. Faith did not bring him into that room. The Bible does not say they were assembled together in faith. And because of their faith, Jesus showed up. No, the Bible says they were assembled together in this room because of fear. Fear in the disciples attracted Christ into the room. Some of you think when you're in a perplexing situation that you have to have an enormous amount of faith for Christ to show up. If that's true, then faith is stronger than love. Because it wasn't faith that brought him in there. It was love that brought him in there. If my son is lost in the woods and he's calling my name, Dad, help me. I'm not going to stand on the circumference of the forest while he cries. I'm going to go to where he is because he's afraid. Faith don't move me toward him. My love for him moves me toward him. And I came to tell some of you today that just because you are in a fearful situation, God is about to show up for you in a very powerful way. There's so much uncertainty in the world. There's so much lack of assurance in the world. But I came to tell you, Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's going to say, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Just because he loves you, he's not going to let you sit in a room afraid. He's going to show up simply because he loves you. You don't get to qualify for that. You don't get to build a degree of faith to achieve that. You're in trouble. He loves you, and he's going to show up. I double-dog dare you to give him praise if you really believe he loves you that much, that he'll just show up when you need him. That's a pretty good praise, but I thought I had some Holy Ghost people in here. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor he's going to show up because he loves you. He's going to show up because he loves you. He came to them not because of their faith. He came to them because of their fear. Ooh, that's good stuff right there. 
I'm just going to share with you like he brought it to me. Verse 20 says this. Notice what he did. And when he had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad, listen to it, when they saw the Lord. Wait a minute. What did he do when he showed up? He showed them his wounds. Boy, that spoke to me this morning. Love got him in the room. When he got in the room, he showed them his wounds. His authenticity was proved by what he had been through. Y'all just missed that right there. His authenticity was proved by what he had been through, and he showed up. Proof. Say it. Proof. People many times are not sure of our genuineness because we keep hiding our wounds. Christianity has taught us just show people what you want them to see. People are very scared to let other folks read their whole story. We are pros at showing highlights. When you are pros at showing highlights, then you develop a discipleship and a following that need highlights to follow. The truth of it is there's more lowlights than there is highlights. I wrote this this morning that our scars should be evidence not only that we have suffered, but that we have learned through what we have suffered. Hmm. I'll read it again. Our scars, and that's what he showed them, his scars, should be evidence not only that we have suffered, but that we have learned through what we have suffered. Now, suffering is not in many Christians' vocabulary in this day, but I find it interesting that Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 says that Christ learned obedience through the things he suffered, meaning where there's no suffering, there's no learning. It takes you going through stuff to learn some things. We learn two ways, either by obedience or by experience. Tell your neighbor, but you're going to learn. Yeah. Why go through a suffering season and not come out more educated? The question is, what did you learn when you were going through it? And if you learned anything, please share it with the people that are following you. I'll say it like this. This is a generation that don't just want Superman. They need Clark Kent. We have showed them Superman, Batman, Iron Man, the Cosmic Cowboy, and everybody else. But we ain't showed them the real deal. I don't want to see a truck on the showroom floor. I want to know what the truck can do when it's muddy. Getting quiet in a sanctified church. I wrote a book one time called The Wall. 
I was encouraged not to write that book because everyone said it's too raw. It's too real. It doesn't sound like the typical Christian book. And I said, yay! Because I'm tired of the typical Christian book. You can predict it from the time you open it. Because they're going to tell you every good thing about their life. They ain't going to tell you about that divorce they went through. They ain't going to tell you about the loss of their life. They're not going to tell you about things they had to endure to make it through. They ain't going to tell you about prison time. And then you find out later, oh, he was, he what? He went through that? I never knew that. Me? I think that's pitiful. I think that's a shame. Christ could have walked in there and never showed them one scar. He could have walked in there and sat down and never showed them his hands or his side or his feet. He didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. Why do you want people to read a fantasy instead of giving them a dream? Why don't we tell half the story, not the whole story? See, if you gave your real testimony, that's why we don't have testimony services anymore because people got tired of the fake. If you told your whole testimony, you put a bag over your head because you would not want people to know exactly everything. Now, are we, all, we all get this testimony. Yeah, I used to drink. Like that's some big deal. Guess what? Praise the Lord. God delivered me from drugs. Well, I heard it a hundred times. But what you didn't tell them is what he delivered you from on that computer. Because you ain't going to give that. You ain't going to give that 411 out. That's too much. Boy, it's getting quiet now. Because people are not used to real. They're not used to authenticity. They're not used to genuineness. It's a shock to Christianity to talk real to people. Because you want your best life now. You want it now. Well, let me tell you something. The best life now includes the worst that life can offer. Well, praise the Lord. I'm just going to follow the, the example of Jesus. And if people ask, here's the wounds. There's the wall. Go buy it today. Sold at a bookstore near you. The wall. I've had preachers call me and say, you told everything. I said, exactly. Because I'm tired of what superficial, the superficial facade that people give to people. Let me get off my soapbox. I better stop. But this is a quote from the book. Sons do not learn as much from their father's experiences as they do from their father's pain. One thing I committed to with my kids is to show them all of me and not lie to them. Dad, did this happen? Yes, it did. Did you do that, Dad? I did. Why show them any other thing but the truth? 
I'm going to get off of it in a minute. But someone said this, God is not looking, God is not looking you over for medals or degrees or diplomas. He's checking and see if you've got some scars. Because scars qualify you. It's funny to me that I've, I've discovered that people want to get where you are, but they don't want to go through what you've been through to get where you are. Hmm. Verse 21 and 22, I, I, I'll move on. I know it, we kind of wore that out, didn't we? Of course we did. Because, and, it, and it gets real steel and stale. Stuff stops moving because you're dealing with what's real. See, it's easy to tantalize people's emotions when you talk about the carrot that they can always chase. But when you get down to, man, did you really, did that really happen in your life? Then people want to close off. Therefore, I'm going to move on because I don't want you to experience a stale sermon. Verse 21 and 22. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. Why would he say it again? He said it again because he knew the wounds he showed them had the potential to disturb them. I'm going to show you the real deal. And then he said, I know this is going to mess with your mind. So I'm going to go ahead and speak peace to you again. Here's the re real situation. Here's a real deal. Peace be unto you. Now watch what he says. As the Father has sent me, I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, now receive the Holy Ghost. First thing he did is spoke peace. The second thing he did is gave them purpose. He said, as I have been sent, as I have been sent now I send you. And then the third thing he did is he gave them power. He said, receive the Holy Ghost. Y'all just missed that right there. He spoke peace. He gave them a purpose. Then he gave them power. I've learned something about God. That if he gives you purpose, he's going to give you power to fulfill that purpose. I've learned something about God, that God don't give pow power to purposeless people. Did you hear what I said? God don't give power to people who wander aimlessly through life. God give, gives power to people with a divine assignment from heaven. My question is this, why aren't we going for, now what, watch, I, I find this really cool. He showed them his what? Hands and his side. He showed them his heart and his hands. He showed them his love and his provision. And then he said, now you go do what I did. Go show people your wounds. As I have been sent, now I send you. Go show people that you can go through hell and still make it. Go show people that you can go through a pit and end up in a palace. Go show people that you can go through a divorce and yet still be happily married. Show people you can go through the worst things in life and you can still come out a better version of yourself. And I'm going to give you the power to do it. And then he didn't breathe on them until they received their commission. See, we want power, but we don't say, for what? What do you need power for? To be the witness. Man, I didn't come to preach, but I feel a preach coming now, see? My question is, Lord, help me here. I got to get away from this here. How did Thomas miss this? 
How did he miss it? Read your Bible, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Let me tell you about God. God knows when something is missing and God knows when someone is missing. God has a way of dealing with us in sets. The Bible says there was a woman who had 10 coins and she lost one of them where? In the house. Have you ever thought, man, this message is for so-and-so and they miss church today. This, I've been praying with them and talking to them about this very thing and they missed it. Thomas, how did you miss it? God knows when something is missing. The woman swept the house until she found the one coin that was missing. You know what I've been praying? God, sweep this house. Because you're in here somewhere. I hear the Holy Ghost saying, come out, come out. Wherever you are, being in church does not make you a witness. Being in church does not make you a servant. Being in church does not make you a son. Being in church does not mean you're being used. Stop sitting. I dare you to throw your head back and holler, sweep the house, Lord. Sweep the house. Sweep it until you find every one of us and make us usable in your kingdom. Sweep it until the thing that is lost in the house is found. Sweep this house. He knows when something is missing. He knows when someone is missing. He left the 99 to find one. Did y'all hear what I said? He left 99 to find how many? Somebody needs this word in here today. Shout it again, sweep the house, Lord. Find that one, Lord. Thomas. Thomas in Hebrew means twin. Called Didymus. Didymus in Greek means twin. I dare you to say it as loud as you can. I am here and so am I. I Thomas, twin. Every one of us in this building have a twin. Oh yeah, all of us do. Tell your neighbor that's you too. You too, you have a twin. (laughs) Now I can tell you, you talk to Tony and Jamie. And Tyson and Tony Bell look alike. One's a little stouter than the other. But I guarantee you, they act different. Am I right? They think different. But they look just alike. Y'all just missed that right there. See, Paul said, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. See, you got a twin that wears the same size shoes you wear. Same suit you wear, he wears. It's called your different nature, your fleshly nature. See, and if you ain't careful, your twin will be dragging you. 
But I came looking for people that got their twin. Like my mama used to say, by the nap of the neck. And say, you going to church with me today. Flesh, you going to church with me today. You look like me, but you don't think like me. You look like me, but you don't act like me. Romans 7 says it's a law. That's a law. When I want to do good, my twin is right there. When Israel wanted to do good, Jacob showed up. When Abraham wanted to do righteous, Abram showed up. When Sarah wanted to do the will of God, Sarai showed up. When Peter wanted to do the will of God, Simon showed up. Because we all got a twin. Looks like you, but don't act like you. Looks like you, but don't think like you. It's called your fleshly nature. And when he wrote the law of the nature in Romans 7, he finished it by saying, who shall deliver me from this twin? Thanks be unto God through Christ Jesus. See, you can't handle your twin by yourself. You're going to have to have Jesus to deal with your lookalike. I'm sorry, y'all. I feel something here now. You're going to have to have Jesus to deal with your twin nature. You're going to have to have Jesus to change your appetite. Say it with me. I am here and so am I. Yeah, in every one of us, there's a pessimist and an optimist. Hmm. Who'd he come for? The Bible says eight days later. Listen to it. After eight days, help me, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Again, his disciples were within. Now watch this. And Thomas was with them. The first time I just told you, he was not, he was not there when Jesus came. Say it again, I am here and so am I. Yeah. The first time Thomas wasn't there. Wait a minute, Lord. Let me be sure I'm reading this right. Eight days later, meaning the same day, he came back to his disciples and Thomas was there. Then came Jesus, same condition, doors were shut. Same thing, stood in the midst. Same words, peace be unto you. Then, Thomas, then he said to the twin, put your finger in my hands. Put your hand in my side. Be not faithless. But believe, Thomas immediately said, my Lord and my God. Now that's one thing to say, my Lord, when you say that, you're saying my authority. But when you say my God, you're saying my sovereignty. You only, you're not only in control, but you can do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you have seen, yet blessed are those who have not seen, yet they believe 
Tell your neighbor, hello, I'm glad you're here. Because you ain't never seen him, but you believe. If you didn't believe, you wouldn't be in this building today. And because you're in this building today, God is about to touch you in a way that's going to change your entire life. Hello, you and you. Eight days. I don't want to go through it. Lord, help me here. What day was Jesus circumcised on the eighth day? See, the blood, the first blood from Christ wasn't shed on a cross. The first blood from Christ was shed in the temple. The temple is important. On the eighth day, he was circumcised in the temple. The first drop of blood from your Christ hit on his eighth day. Eight is the number of a new beginning. He waited for Thomas eight days so that he could give Thomas a new beginning because he loved Thomas enough to show up again. What are you saying, Pastor Rick? He didn't come back for the 11 this time. He came back for the one called I'm convinced that sometimes God shows up just for I don't know that this message right here today ain't for all of you. It may just be for one of you, but he'll always show up even for shout loud, I'm glad I'm here today. Shout it, I'm glad I'm here. I'm gonna go ahead and preach this thing here. I think we have given Thomas a bad name. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. And the reason why I say I think we're giving Thomas a bad name because there's a Thomas in all of us. Oh, Lord, have mercy. We label him Doubting Thomas. And guess what? The Bible never called him Doubting Thomas. The Bible never said Thomas the Doubter. Never said that. I believe his problem was not doubt. I believe his problem was discouragement. Break it down, Pastor Rick. Lord, have mercy today. I believe that the man is just like you and me. That when God don't show up, when we think he ought to show up, that don't mean we doubt him. That just means we are discouraged that it didn't happen when we thought it was going to happen. You can be discouraged and not doubt. Some of you, are because you've been discouraged, you think you don't have no faith. I came to remove that from your mind today and tell you it's natural for you to be discouraged. I don't know about y'all, but last year was a year of discouragement for me. People left me I thought would never leave me. People turned their back I thought never would. God didn't show up when I thought he was going to show up. The pandemic didn't end when I thought it should have ended. The disease didn't leave when I thought it should have left. I never doubted God. Talk to me in this building. Don't be so sanctified. You can't talk back to the preacher. Lord have mercy. You have been discouraged. Discourage means loss of courage. Doubt means loss of conviction. I ain't never lost my conviction, but I have lost my courage. 
Joshua lost his courage. And that's why the Lord said, be strong and of a good courage because I can see you are losing your courage. And I came by to tell you two things. The enemy has attacked in the body of Christ. Number one is confidence and number two is courage. And it's time for you to get your courage back and look at the devil and tell the devil, if you could have took me out, you would have already took me out. I might have been discouraged, but I never doubted. Tell somebody, I might have been discouraged, but I never doubted. Come on in here, twin. Come on in here, Thomas. I might have been discouraged, but I never doubted. Woo. Let me stop here. Lord have mercy. Shout it with me. I might have been discouraged, but I never doubted. See, there's a difference in I can't believe it and I don't believe it. I can't believe it is your first step away from discouragement to encouragement. I don't believe it is doubt. God can't work with unbelief. Don't say I don't believe it. Say I can't believe it. I can't believe it means you're so excited that you can't even imagine that he would get up out that grave, come up in that room, walk through a closed door, and show you what you were looking for. He didn't stand up there and say, here you go, Thomas, I'm here. Thomas had already said, unless I put my finger in his hand, unless I put my hand in his side, what did Jesus say? Put your finger in my hand. Put your hand in my side. He's going to give you exactly what you need to believe again. I thought that would get somebody happy. He's going to give you exactly what you need to believe again. I'm going to say it one more time. He's going to give you exactly what you need to believe. I'm going to run these aisles again. He's going to give you exactly what you need to believe again. I dare you to shout, I can't believe it. That's not doubt. That means you was discouraged and something happened that blew your mind. And now you are moving out of discouragement into encouragement. I came to tell you, some of y'all gonna get shifted even if you don't want to. God's about to move you. I dare you to shout, show up, Lord. Show up, Lord. Tell him, show up, Lord. Show up just for me. Show up just for me. Just, just for me. I got to have it. I don't know about brother so-and-so and sister deadbeat, but I got to have you. Sometimes, you know, show up 
for one of us. 